Welcome back to the Skits and Giggles podcast. I am Pascal, chief instigator of this show and your host. I'm joined by my co-host and resident engineer, the yin to my yang, the goose to my maverick, Bryson. How's it going today? Hey, Pascal. It's good. How are you? I am good. Thanks, bud. Um, today, we are joined by local legend and the godfather of Swiss slopestyle, Chris Rabel. How's it going, Chris? Oh, guys, I'm doing good. Thanks. Happy to be here. How are you guys doing? Oh, I think all good, all good. Um, I think we have to clarify where you are sitting at the minute. And I think you're sitting in a restaurant. So what's for dinner? Yes, dinner was a pizza. I am sitting in a pizzeria right now. Uh, we were on our way to Finale Ligure for uh, Enduro weekend. We had planned for a couple of months now. Uh, and due to the situation, we decided to uh, switch that up and we stayed in Tessin, Ticino, at a cool little camping place. And the local pizzeria was kind enough to lend me a table and some Wi-Fi for a couple hours. Awesome. Well, we are again recording this on a Friday night, so I guess a quick uh, beverage check is in order. Chris, uh, what do you got? Oh, this is cool. So the good thing about being stuck in Ticino is that uh, I met a friend of mine who's actually the brewer of my favorite beer, and he happened to have some of this BLZ West Coast Ale on him, and yeah, turns out to be a good evening. Oh, nice one. Bryson, please tell me you're not uh, keeping it front feet today. Yeah, I went against the grain. So I went with Brewmaster Edition 26 Red Red Rye IPA from Doppeloy, Doppeloy in Winterthur. Craft Swiss beer. Keeping it local. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm sticking to my guns and I'm uh, you know, going with my current favorite, uh, the good old uh, BrewDog uh, Punk IPA. Toast. We also, we also have to toast to our 10th uh, anniversary episode today. So cheers, guys. Clink. Cheers. Clink. <laughs> well, with all the beer talk out of the way, let's get down to business and just briefly do our usual spiel with the social and where you guys can find more information about the Skits and Giggles podcast. We are currently most active on Instagram, where you can skid right into our DMs and follow along at Skits and Giggles. And you can find our website with all the relevant links and info under the URL skitsandgiggles.com. Well, Chris, um, what is funny is that a good friend of yours, uh, an old friend of yours, is actually a neighbor of mine, Thomas Schmucki. And I, was, I went for a ride with him last weekend... And he reckons he still did more bar spins in his life than you did, Chris. What have you got on this? <laughs> um, so that's a discussion that's been going on for years now. Uh, I met Schmucki in my apprenticeship in Beroma when I was about 16 years old. And uh, he was a pretty active BMX rider back then, and I was just getting into mountain bikes. And over all these years, I have never seen him do a bar spin. <laughs> and so when we started riding more together, actually the last couple of years, I started like pushing him like, Spooky, do a bar spin. And he's like, no, I've done so many in my life. I'm like, then you know how to do it. Why don't you do it? And he, uh, he said, oh, come on, leave me alone. I've done more bar spins in my life than you have. And I still don't believe that. But uh, 
yeah, that's my take on it. I say I beg the differ, um, but yeah, he still insists on it. And someday, as soon as I get him to do a bar spin, I will leave him alone. Has Schmucky ever seen you do a bar spin? He has definitely seen me do okay. a bar spin. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, we, we offered we offer to be the judge of this uh, personal feud between the two of you guys. But uh, let's, uh, let's leave that uh, behind and uh, move on to the main part for the day. Chris, uh, we obviously have quite a bit uh, on the menu of food today, apart from the pizza that you already had uh, for dinner. But uh, we like to start our conversations where all the good stories start, and that's usually at the beginning. So maybe we can talk a little bit about how, uh, you, know, how you got into riding bikes and, of course, then uh, later on into, into slopestyle. Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like, uh, three stages that got me into bikes. Uh, first I was a real, real passionate skateboarder, but I wasn't very good, but I was very passionate about it. I rode every day, all day and every weekend. And then, uh, at some point, uh, some, I went to school with a guy who was a really good dirt jump biker. And we ended up going to a skate park together. It was a skate park in uh, under Balgrist, Solikerberg, up there. And there were some dirt jumps around the skate park. And he was riding the dirt jumps. I was skateboarding. And like I said, I wasn't very good. And then he took a break. And I took his bike and just jumped the big line. And he's like, oh, you should probably consider getting into bikes. And then... I did consider getting into bikes, and uh, I somehow got myself a bike, but I wasn't really into it yet. And then after that, me and my dad did a trip to Locks. He asked me, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I want to try free riding. So we walked into uh, a hotel up in Locks, and uh, Seasons, Cam McCall's part from Seasons was on TV. So I saw Cam doing like super flips and stuff, and I'm like, oh, that's act- it is pretty cool, that slope stop thing. But it was like, uh, it's cool, but I'll probably not get into it. And then during my apprenticeship, I already had a pretty cool bike, and I was working in a bike shop, but I was not a mountain biker. I just had a cool bike, but I didn't really like ride it. And then one night, Greg was like, you should uh, check out Freestyle, the Freestyle Park in Zurich. And I'm like, Sure, why not? I went there, and uh, there were some really good bikers there, and I didn't know what I was doing. I started talking to the guys, and then out of one of the ledges, I, I, I learned how to bunny hop, and then I'm like, oh, I want to take my feet off. I did a can-can that first night of actually really riding a, a park for the first time, and the second I landed back on my bike, I'm like, that's it. I'm, I'm in it for life. So, yeah. That's it. Uh, I'm a slope styler now. <laughs> no, I was a skate park rider, but I was definitely into bikes. Yeah. Okay. So that's like the three-stage story of how I actually got into mountain bikes in the first place. Oh, sweet. Um, but yeah, so I mean, then, uh, of course, uh, at some stage, you, uh, you know, just riding around the skate park uh, wasn't quite enough. And, uh, and you got into, into competition. How did, uh, how did that happen? So... Um, I got real uh, competitive real quick, so I was just riding those skate parks and tiny little dirt jumps at the local spot, 
and learning tricks like crazy, like learn 360s a couple weeks in, uh, learned tail whips pretty soon, bar spins, trucks, and all that stuff. So I was pretty good at doing like all those tricks in skate parks, like fly out and good at street too. I would 360 down like stair sets and stuff. So I had a big, big trick bag, but I wasn't considered a slope style rider from like the Swiss scene, like the Flying Meadow guys and stuff. And so they made fun of me a lot because they'd invite me to like the early years of Rocket Air and I'd do terrible because it was like real big step downs and big drops and I'm a skate park kid. I'm not used to those dimensions. And uh, then I started working. I'm like, I want to get better at that. But the, the guys, everyone was just making fun of me as a skate park kid with like, he's got a lot of tricks, but he can never do them on jumps. And then one year, it was pretty cool. They had the Swiss Durking in Steffisburg, which is the unofficial, unofficial uh, Swiss champions of dirt jump biking. And they asked me, are you going to show up? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then they started making fun of me. And I'm like, you know what? I'll come and I'll win. And that's uh, kind of how it happened, too. And from that moment on, I'm like, I think that's the moment I turned into a slopestyle rider and kind of left the, the tiny little skate park tricks behind me. So from there, you went on to capture at least two more uh, titles or wins in that year. That was 2015, wasn't it? Yes, that was 2015, right. So you took part in the Monster Energy Best Trick uh, Faficon, then the Monster Energy Game of Bike. What were those competitions like? That was kind of a fun time because that was like the time uh, like dirt jumping was kind of becoming a little bit more mainstream in Switzerland. And uh, the indoor bike park went up, uh, like opened up something around there. And for promotions, they did all those contests. And then uh, I don't really remember the, the first one too well the, the monster energy jump jam but what i definitely remember was the game of bike that was pretty cool because they uh it was monster energy so they invited a bmx rider and a mountain bike rider that were monster sponsored obviously thinking they were going to win and uh <laughs> yeah so is that not uh, how these competitions go <laughs> usually yeah no it was uh so, oh, where was I? They were supposed to win, and then it was my local park. I was riding there almost every night, and I've uh, had a couple of tricks up my sleeve. And it was the game of bike format, like uh, someone uh, sets a trick, and the other guys have to copy the trick or get a letter if they don't. And I had all my tricks up my sleeve. Uh, at the end, it was only Oscar Naj, the Hungarian monster rider and me in the final and uh that was pretty cool i was like oh my god am i actually going to beat a monster athlete right now and uh i was always really good at uh tiny little front flips and there was this tiny little jump in the back of the 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 indoor bike park so i went straight there and i said a front flip i told everyone i'm going to front flip that jump and i did and he gave it a go and it didn't work out well for him, and so I took that win, which was, it's, it was not a huge contest, but it was just fun to, it was a very fun time, and good for the ego, obviously, to beat one of the best of that time there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
But I mean, the, uh, I guess an interesting uh, question is in, in, in that regard is kind of like the, you know, who are the, the writers at the time that, uh, that inspired, inspired you to, to step up and to push? And then you mentioned Cam McCall that you watch these videos, but I mean, <clears throat> locally, I mean, generally people don't, don't live off of videos. They, they also like to have like their, their local heroes, let's say. And uh, so, yeah, so who were, your, who were the, the people that inspired you the most and pushed you the most and, and supported you the most? So, actually, yeah, you mentioned Cam again. Cam McCall and Aaron Chase are the two, my two all-time favorite mountain bike riders have always been. Cam, mostly because he was the first rider ever in that video back then and Chase has that like very technical style and also like street moves that's uh, something that I personally enjoy a lot uh, and kind of grew up with so those are like the two big dogs that I look up to and uh, I also always kind of looked up to um, like Ramon Hunziker the Swiss freeride legend because uh He's just always been pushing, and he pushed for such a long time, and uh, he was always really good at stuff that I was really bad at. He always had the mental game pretty strong, and uh, I admired that a lot. Yeah, those are pretty much the riders that I look up to, looked up to. Um, and, of course, like anyone who has, like, a, who rides, just, like, I look up to so many people, like even my roommate, he's a really good free rider. He has like a very special style. And when I go free riding with him, it's just like, oh man, he's so good. And I, I like try to feed off of anything that I see that anyone is uh, really good at. I kind of like try to learn from it. And so I look up to a lot of riders and uh, admire a lot of riders as well. Yeah. Um, you, you mentioned something something interesting and something I'm personally quite interested in. And you said like the mental, uh, so Ramon was having the mental game. So what uh, is that something uh, that you had to specifically work on? Is that something uh, that has been, you know, um, let's say an issue or um, uh, a roadblock for you, the mental game? Or is, uh, have you been specifically training for to be better with that? Uh, the mental game was definitely always something that I fought with a lot. It, uh, it was never easy for me to uh, do what I do. It, it wasn't natural for me. It, like The fear, of course, what we do is very dangerous, and I always knew that. I got into riding, especially at, to riding at the level that I did in competitions. I got into like at a very high age for a mountain bike slopestyle rider. I think I was like 19 or 20 or 21, 22 when I got really into slopestyle. So uh, the mental game was always a big thing for me. It wasn't something that stopped me, but I definitely felt like I had to push more to, uh, to achieve what I really wanted, the, like the inner fight. But it was also something that I really liked. That's something that I learned to work with when I started like, with the mindset that I want to push through these blocks. Like I want to take these blocks, take this fear, and prove myself wrong. And that's just a feeling that's uh, unbelievably good when you're scared of something and uh, you, like, you can like, learn to trust yourself and uh, trust your abilities and go off that. That's uh, something that I, I really enjoy about the sport. 
scaring myself and proving myself that I can push through fear. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, absolutely. It's been, it's been, uh, uh, actually a theme on, on quite a, uh, quite a few of our conversations already. I mean, this, uh, uh, so on the one hand, uh, the kind of the overcoming fear and then, then kind of mastering a challenge and, uh, and how that, uh, that reinforces the, the psyche to then always, uh, go one, one step further and t- pick a bigger challenge and then hopefully overcome that. And then that, that kind of reinforces the progression of the sport for for you know for me personally for you personally for Bryson personally and uh, and that's I think what keeps uh, people coming back. Um, I think something also quite interested in is kind of how you approach uh, how you approach learning new tricks. You said uh, learning new tricks is something that's uh, coming pretty easy or pretty easily to you. Um, so yeah. So what is uh, maybe if you can you know. Can, can tell like what is your approach when you learn uh, new tricks that's actually funny because I, I rarely go out with the mindset I'm gonna go learn this trick I I'm having a good session it, obviously it, it was way easier when I was uh, much younger and rode way more but so how most of the tricks came to me was like having a good session and just trying like I don't really want to learn a truck driver, but I might try a 180 bar and land the 180 bar. I'm like, oh, that was cool. Maybe I should try a 360 bar and just go for it and land it. So that's kind of like how I landed very many of my tricks, not going out uh, saying, I'm going to learn this trick today. It was just like, they kind of just happened throughout the sessions or someone was doing something and I was like, oh, I might try it too. So it worked for me. I, uh, I slowly gathered all the tricks I needed to do these events and uh, I always had fun doing it. So I learned most of what I did or what I do in very fun sessions instead of hardcore training sessions. So yeah, I guess that's 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 one thing that uh, to me kind of characterizes the the difference between you know my my background is in you know in the endurance side of things like the racing side of things and and more recently the enduro side, which is slowly but surely moving towards how the community works in in slope style and freestyle sports right where the community is kind of pushing each other on they're very supportive of each other and they're like as you as you describe right so you go out you have a great session um you, you challenge each other to trying a new trick and and uh, inspire each other to to try a new trick and uh, i think that's uh, that's a very very interesting dynamic um the uh so yeah maybe talking a little bit more about tricks i mean what has been the uh what has been the hardest trick so far to learn for you so yeah uh that actually That was uh, a trick that I actually did set out with the mindset, I'm going to learn this trick. And uh, it was the the Cork 720 I did for my uh, SFF Summer Challenge. Because it was, uh, first of all, at the time, it was not a trick that everyone had in the bag. That's changed real quickly, like over the years now. uh, Everyone competing needs the trick. So it was kind of like a fairly new trick or like one of the harder ones at the competitions. Then, since I was doing it for a national TV, I had a due date when I had to learn the trick, and I also needed to build myself a jump that was perfect for the 
the trick and being as ambitious as I am, I decided to not just build a jump, I decided to build a park. So, uh, as you do. I, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I found, uh, some land, started working a lot. Uh, and then suddenly the due date's coming closer. I haven't really learned the trick yet, but I need the park to be ready by that day. So I was investing a lot of time into that park finished it the day of the shoot, never landed the trick before, like uh, in, a, in a foam pit or on an airbag, like never the way you want to land a trick in a foam pit or an airbag to know you can take it to dirt. So it was kind of just a wing it. So it was a very action-packed month, and uh, I was lucky enough, and this is actually true, I was lucky enough to land it that day somehow. And uh, so that was the hardest trick I've learned. I had to learn. Okay. And have you ever have you ever used the trick again? Is it now in your standard repertoire, so to speak, or is it was it a kind of a one-off? <clears throat> I think uh, I think I only did it to dirt once, actually. But I had it after that day. I took a break, didn't do it for a while, and then I had it like perfect the first time I tried it again and did it mostly on the skills park airbag. Not that I didn't want to do it to dirt. It was mostly just throughout the full winter. So I was doing it a bunch and had it perfect for like a whole winter. By the time summer came, I had one crash on it and that blew me off so hard that I uh, never really tried it again. But I'm definitely going to, it's good we're talking about this because I'm definitely going to try to get that one back actually. Kind of forgot about it. Well, it was a basic, it just did it for TV and, uh, you know, that's, once the camera's rolling. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. I hear from other slope stylers that um, training on the bag or training on the, the mulch is uh, preferred to going straight to dirt. And can you, yeah, explain a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, of course. It's become such a big part of the game. Like every slopestyle rider you see in all these contests is uh, definitely training on bags and mulch jumps and foam pits. Um, That's something I admired about the time that I got into the sport. Uh, Most of the stuff we had to do, like I learned my first backflip on dirt. I've never done a backflip before, and uh, one of my friends was doing it. Actually, my oh yeah, later on he became my roommate. But uh, at that time, a good friend of mine, Pete Bolsert, he was doing backflips all over the place, and I had all the technical stuff. And I'm like, ah oh, man, I I need to learn backflips. And uh, so I geared up with like all the protection I could find everywhere. Like I had a full face helmet. I had the back and chest and arm protectors. I had everything you could find to somehow protect your body. And I just slammed myself into the ground for like eight or nine tries. And those are the things I really enjoyed about how we learned tricks back then. But nowadays the sport, the, the sport needs these training opportunities that they have today for, uh, for it to evolve, I think. You can't go learn 360 windshield wipers on a long, hard dirt jump nowadays, no. 
So basically, it's giving you the insurance if you're coming up short or you're just trying something that you're not sure is going to work out. You have that little bit of cushioning, a little bit, but you have a lot more cushioning than a, a dirt landing. So much more. All, all you get is burn marks from sliding down the bag, but that's about the worst that can happen on an airbag. Yeah, I guess we also need to maybe you know, point out or explain to the listener, um, for those that are not following slope style quite so closely, um, that you know some of the jumps that you guys are are taking on are you know three four meter high tables ten fifteen meter gaps. So if you come up short on something like that, then that's going to be serious trouble. And uh, you know it's not like a simple dirt jump or a skate park. It's it's kind of some serious uh, some serious uh, machinery that's being put out there to to build these jumps and, uh, and quite some land that you actually need to build all that stuff. Exactly, yeah. And at okay. these size of jumps, your under or over rotation in either axis is uh, very critical as well, because it's really hard to recover after you're coming in with so much, so much speed. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, you definitely have to train. I mean, even the airbag jumps are way bigger than the jumps we learned how to ride on. Uh, also, because you have to learn, if you learn how to flip a big jump, it's important that you know how to manage your airtime because the goal is the big jumps and not just like a, a fly out in a skate park. The goal is a big jump, so you want to train on a big jump. So these airbags uh, have pretty decent dimensions by now, yeah. Okay. Well, I want to, to get into uh, you know the whole question of how the sport has changed uh, in your time a little bit later on, but maybe just to wrap up uh, or you know get back to kind of the the whole trick question um so so yeah we talked about the hardest trick uh so maybe if you can explain what is your your favorite trick of all time and how has that evolved over time so um obviously when i was younger my favorite trick was always the hardest trick i had which to a point actually because then i uh i kind of found the, the backflip tuck no hand, which was a trick that came really easy to me. It kind of looks good. It's not too hard. I can do it on huge jumps. So that was a, a trick that was I did for many years in many competitions. It was definitely in my runs, in every single run, I'm pretty sure, of every contest I did for at least three or four years. Uh, now... Uh, stuff's kind of changed. I really like the stylish stuff and the old school stuff, like the stuff that was cool when I started getting into this. And uh, I think my favorite trick now is probably a, th a very nice, clicked, long-held, sexy 360 tabletop. I think that's pretty much my my go-to for for now. You can't beat old old school style. It just can't beat it. Yeah, <laughs> I've watched a few video viewers, and I have. I also have a favorite trick what, that I like to see you perform. How does it rank on your list? Uh, tuck no hander to bar spin. I think it looks. I think it looks very elegant. Wow, <laughs> that's a, that's a trick I haven't done in a while. Um, it's a technical one. It's fun on bigger jumps, but uh, obviously it's not a high scoring trick in events. 
Uh, it's definitely something I do a lot in just sessions. You like do a big trick on a jump, you go to the next jump, and it's kind of just like jibbing. You do a tuck. Oh, I got time for a bar. I always liked doing them, but it was never in my uh, my all-time favorites. But uh, another story is when you go to a 360 tuck to bar spin. I think that's a pretty cool trick. And uh, also one that I I enjoy. <laughs> yeah. That would be 360 uh, spin? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, wow. sounds technical. But uh, the, I think you bring up an interesting topic is the, um, the, the question how tricks are being rated. And, uh, you know, sometimes, um, you know, we, we, well, the kids and I, we, we do enjoy watching, uh, you know, Crankworx, Joyride and, uh, and all these, uh, all these kind of competitions, uh, take them to the jump park when, when the, the event is on down at Seal City. And, uh, you know, sometimes you look at these jumps and you, you just think like, it's like Tony Hawk pro skater. If you remember that game on the PlayStation, you just do all these uh, crazy combinations with your fingers. You get cramps in your fingers from all the combinations, but it's, you just add more complexity and add more, one more bar spin, one more this and one more that. Can you explain a little bit how, how, um, you know, that whole grading and, and rating of jumps works? Um, so yeah, they have, uh, different uh, criteria in bigger contests. I think like the diamond events have a pretty standard rating on uh, what trick at, let's say it like this. It's um, you get different ratings for altitude, not altitude, amplitude. Is it amplitude? How high you go? Yeah, exactly. It's a uh, technicality of the trick and uh, precision, like how, how nice the... Uh, Bryson, help me out with the word. The like, for example, if you rotated, then if you land straight rather than crooked, you get a better score for your precision. That for sure, yeah. Yeah. So there's different criteria. There's a, I'm not a judge, so I don't know exactly, like, if a flip double tail whip scores more than, like, a front flip bar spin or a 360 rotation. But uh, different criteria on on the complete run. So mostly technical tricks do pretty well. So that's uh, something you aim for. There's also a fluidity rating on some competitions. Is that correct? The flow is definitely uh, rated as well, yeah. Like how smooth everything is, yeah. Well, um, <clears throat> I guess, you know, our listeners, they can all... Uh you can all read up on your uh, your main achievements of your career, and of, of course, there's been uh, of course quite a few. But uh, from your uh, personal perspective, what are the uh, the highlights so far? And uh, you know, what are you what are the things that you're most proud of at this stage? I don't have uh, any results that I can say. Oh, I'm so proud of this and this result. Uh, I always did contests. I always enjoyed contests, but I was never like the top 10 at the huge events contest guys so i think i'm very proud of how i managed that summer challenge the quirk 720 task uh that was a very intense time i enjoyed it a lot building training and uh actually succeeding it in the end and something else that i'm very proud of now is uh looking back at everything i've done and where i'm standing now like, uh, I'm 
most of the friends that I started riding with, they don't really ride anymore, and I'm still like in such a core core group of riders, and I'm like still a part of it. I I haven't fallen off, and I'm actually very proud of uh, still being a part of uh, a sport that's dominated by people that are 10 years younger than me. And uh, especially in Switzerland, I love my friends that I ride with, and uh, it feels good to be like a, a respected part of that insanely talented group. Okay, well, I mean, of course, right? So the, uh, yes, I mean, I guess uh, certainly competitive slope style appears to be from the outside in. I mean, I'm not, uh, of course, not in in competitive slope style, but uh, from the outside in, it looks like a young man's sport. So I think it's. Uh, you know that you can still be in this is a uh, uh, you know testament to your to your dedication to this sport and and uh, how much you've you've put in how much work you put in Bryson you had something yeah touching back um touching back to how you started to learn your tricks you basically went out there did some sessions said to yourself oh let me try this 180 or let me try this bar spin and kind of no pressure session style you know just going out for a ride and getting having a good time. Um, in contrast, in 2019, when you did the SRF Summer Challenge, you really put yourself under some stress to not only learn this trick and, and land it, but also build that jump and a bike park. And so it's a, I see it as a, as a, as a contrast as, as to your, your normal style, your kind of normal style of doing things, right? Where you have kind of have this no pressure, just going to attempt it, give it a try. Hey, I, I can do it. Okay. And then you had to go into the heat of like getting all this done by a deadline, get, being on national television. Um, did you see it that way? Did you, did you, did you come, come, come across? Did, you, did it help you feel better about accomplishing that, knowing that you did it outside of the box, outside of your comfort zone? At that time, I was just happy to have it, have it over with. Really, it was such a stressful month. Uh, thinking back, like I said in the beginning, I really enjoy uh, the scare yourself and prove yourself wrong factor. And that was a huge factor in, in that uh, challenge since it was like <laughs> actually there. Usually I'm standing at a start and like, okay, this jump is huge, but you know how to trick, how to, how to do the trick. And on this scenario is like all right this jump is big and you don't know how to do the trick <laughs> so, so that actually that made it feel way way better because it was uh yeah i pushed through fear and unknowing on that thing so that was pretty cool and also like i i for some reason i don't know why because i'm not usually the type that works well under pressure but in riding i somehow do work well under pressure like i've had contest days where uh I could barely clear the course and then come my run, I'd put down a perfect run. And uh, that's always been something, when I realized that that works, it was something I could uh, count on. And it would make the terrible days way easier knowing that it's probably going to go well under pressure. So, Perhaps it's that in-the-zone effect, the flow. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it, it really came out that way uh in this srf program i watched it recently and it's uh you can really see the i don't know if it was dramatic effect that they added with the camera and everything like that but um you didn't make it after the second attempt and then at the third one you're just like this is it this is it and you just charge down the ramp you clean the first one and then 
yeah, clean the Cork 720s. It was really inspiring. They had like a pan, uh, a panning shot, like aerial shot. It was very cool. Must have yeah, felt good. Yeah, uh, it did feel good, especially because, uh, man, I don't know if I can say this. Oh, man, it's been a while. I can definitely say this. So they uh, they actually did put three takes into the into the 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 video that they showed, but it was more like nine. Oh. So my body oh, was wow. pretty my body was pretty banged up by the time I actually landed it, and it was uh, it was a couple of very bad hits. So it felt amazing to actually land. Can, it, I, can yeah. I have a Big Mac now? This is like my ninth try, guys. <laughs> Come on, I need a break here. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, and I didn't want to give up on it either because it was like uh, if I'd fail, the the show would go out and all the Switzerland would know I, I messed it up and I really didn't want that to happen. So, yeah. Right. Well, you don't have anything to fear. I think uh, you backed it up pretty solid with a, a win at the FMB Bronze event, Swiss uh, Dirt Series Davos in 2020. So what does your writing look today? Um Last time we rode together, you had an enduro bike, um, and uh, I didn't expect that. Actually, I just expected you to come out on like a full suspension um, dirt jumper, maybe or something else. And uh, yeah, you're just jibbing and having fun on the enduro bike. So it was really cool to see how you translated the, everything from your dirt bike into a normal mountain bike. Yeah, I mean. Um being or like becoming a part of the dirt jump scene uh definitely like uh all my friends ride bikes uh most a lot of the guys that i grew up dirt jumping with switched to enduro bikes so at some point i had to get me an enduro bike but it's not like i had to it was uh i love everything about riding bikes no matter what uh Actually, even when I broke my arm, I uh, Trek gave me a gravel bike for for a while. So I would actually go graveling, and then I went to Finale and actually did some road biking even. It's not like I enjoy that anything near as much as uh, riding an enduro bike or a, a dirt jump bike, but I just love riding anything. So I'm, you'll definitely see me out on enduro trails and Maybe even doing some cross country climbs someday. I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. Why not? Go with the flow. <laughs> exactly. Hill climb challenge next. <laughs> oh, God. That's definitely gonna that's definitely gonna put you out of your comfort zone. <laughs> some good old uh, hill repeats. <laughs> there you go. Some sprints. Yeah. No. Exactly. No thanks. Do you have any favorite spots around? Because current uh, you were in Zurich before, correct? Um, I mean, I'm I uh, I live. I lived in Bremgarten okay. for many years. Uh, I live in Wettingen by Baden now, which is both. The, it's been pretty close to Zurich for the last years, and uh, I'm definitely in Zurich. I'm in the jump park a lot um, in the evenings after work or in the summertime before work. I, I enjoy just riding the Itliberg trails uh, on an enduro bike. Um, but definitely, like, my favorite spots of riding. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, I'd have to say it's probably Highland Mountain Bike Park in Northfield, New Hampshire, USA. That's very interesting. I'm very curious to hear about your connection with uh, Highland Mountain Bike Park. I know Aaron Chase is a, a local there. Yeah, he is. He, uh, he grew up a couple towns over. Uh, he actually, when I started going there, he was still living down in Jersey, but he'd uh, shoot by every once in a while. 
um, it was actually kind of cool because uh, when I finished my apprenticeship and I was, by the time I finished, I was pretty like focused on, I want to see if I can somehow become a pro mountain biker. And since I have an American uh, passport, I figured oh, I'll just get on a plane and go to America and figure out, like, see what happens. So I ended up in, uh, at my grandma's house first. And then I bought a car, drove up to Highland, and it was actually pretty funny. The whole story of how I got into Highland was uh, I went up there for a weekend, met some guys, drove back down to my grandma's. It's like a six-hour drive. And then I think like two or three weekends later, I drove back up and was hanging out with the guys that I met a couple weeks ago. They were all employees at Highland. And then the Hurricane Sandy hit and roads were closed. I couldn't leave. I couldn't go home to New Jersey. All I had was my Jeep and my bike. So I put my Jeep in the woods behind, uh, behind the, the training center in Highland. And then someone went to the boss, like the owner, Mark Hayes, and he's like, uh, so there's a Swiss kid living in the woods during a hurricane. <laughs> and Mark was like, get him in the like, employee housing right now. So I got into employee housing, and uh, my weekend ended up turning into a month. I started coaching and working in the bike shop and, uh, like, became very good friends with the core Highland family, and I've been returning almost every year since. That was, I think, 2012 or 13. Sounds like a series of very fortunate events. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, and Highland in general, it's just like, it's a tiny little hill in Northfield, New Hampshire, and it has everything. It's like, it has insane downhill riding. It has like the best slope style training conditions. It has awesome, like, you know, American East Coast trails for dirt jumping. It has the indoor skate park. And uh, yeah, like there's pros there all the time. Like Aaron, he actually moved back there a couple years ago, Aaron Chase. And he's been riding there almost daily for the last couple of years. So it's always cool to like actually meet your heroes and uh, become friends with them and ride, actually like actually ride with them and not just like meet them at, uh, I don't know, like a video premiere or something. So that's pretty cool. That's, it's a great place. I encourage anyone who has the chance to go there. One uh you know, obviously, one one question I'm I'm really interested in uh, is, of course, to to kind of um, get your your perspective on uh, you know on how the sport has changed uh, over the years that you've been involved in, and uh, you know you know a little bit what is what is better, uh, what is worse, because of course uh, you know it used to be pretty much grassroots at the time when you started, and now it's obviously very in, you know in some some. Some parts is pretty uh, pretty uh, progressed and professional. So, so what is um, what is your take on this? So obviously, it's become a huge sport. Um, it has a lot of coverage. So all in all, it's definitely changed to the better. It's become huge. Uh, people see it with all the YouTubes and uh, video parts that are going out. It definitely has potential to reach a lot of people. Um, the sport in itself, like the, the level of riding, we already covered that with the airbag and like training um, conversation we just had. What's definitely changed like 
about the sport is like the gnarliness. Uh, the videos that I really, I mean, grew up riding, uh, watching was definitely the ones you guys did as well, like the cranks and the New World Disorders. And if you watch YouTube videos of like the 2008 or 2009 uh, crankworks, you see how like rough they are and huge. And uh, now it's all like insanely groomed, perfect tracks. Uh, personally, I'd like if it were a bit rougher. I think that free free ride aspect, I I, I just think it's gnarly and cool and badass. Uh, but all in all, the the sports evolved to be something amazing. It's huge and uh, reaching a lot of people. I like that about it. What's the con? The con. Um, well, like any sport now, uh, I really don't like how uh, dependent it is about like on social media. It's just uh, I, I always admired riders for their riding and uh, how they work on it, and not how they like cut their vlogs and uh, how do you say it? yeah, just manage their social media. I, I know it's a huge part of the sport or any sport by now. But uh, I just, I mean, I fell in love with the sport of uh, just, like, the skills these people needed and the balls they needed to do this. And uh, I don't think uh, having to have a super, act, like, super active social media should be a part of any athlete. But uh, sadly it is, and uh, it's not going to change. But um, all in all, everything is really, really good. Okay. What's... Um you know, you if you think back, of course, uh, you know when you're if, if you look at your trajectory, there's obviously a lot of uh, a lot of hustle involved in in you know getting getting the support that uh, that you needed and getting to where you got. But uh, so if you look at the the younger talents today, you know, especially in Switzerland, we have I think a couple of very good examples. You know, what are the uh, the development paths for you know let's say a young dirt jumper or a young uh, slope styler today is that uh, much improved from uh, when you were starting or is it still kind of the same something that's definitely definitely improved is uh the infrastructure like for me to like get introduced into mountain biking i had to like be as lucky as i was to actually like meet that guy and walk in on that video and uh, somehow some, have someone convince me to go ride a skate park. And now you have like pump tracks in every town. It's like a playground that introduces you to mountain biking that like awakes your interest. You have dirt jumps, uh, dirt jump parks popping up everywhere. You have the you have dirt jump parks in the middle of the city. You have NT Dirt. You have uh, Sooty Trails Jump Park, which is literally jump parks in the middle of the city. I don't know any other place that have dirt jump parks in the middle of the city than Switzerland. And I think that's so cool because you had to somehow be so deep into the scene to know where the jump parks were before. And now you can just like, walk by and somehow see these guys and then buy an online bike or walk to your next bike shop and get into it. And I think that's, that's really cool for, uh, like getting introduced to it. 
and then like we talked about earlier the like the training infrastructure is just insane with airbags with skills park with bike park uh uh swiss bike park all the pump tracks because even pump track riding is a huge uh advantage for getting into dirt jumping and slope styling uh, we don't even have to talk about how many skate parks there are out there. So it's so much easier to get introduced to the sport. And when you actually catch the fire and uh, like want to become a part of it, it's so easy to also progress now. And I think that's, that's uh, definitely something, something that's uh, really cool about how it's evolved. Hearing you talk about it makes you really excited to go for a bike ride. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's good that you're in Ticino and you're going right tomorrow and we'll have snow. Uh, <laughs> we have snow on the weekend. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah, oh, I know. No. Anyway, uh, you're, um, you know, talking about young riders. I mean, you have been, um, you know, it's a public information. You've been uh, very close to the development of, uh, of uh, Lucas Hupot, Hupi, as he's known, Hupi Nader, uh, as some of his friends call him. Uh, what uh, what is your insight into his career so far and uh, how he has uh, mastered his own path? So Hoopy, that kid's a story, man. He's uh, I met Hoopy while I was riding uh, our dirt park Sikintal. That's a, a park my friends uh, started probably around 2006 and then when I got into mountain biking I uh, got in, into that uh, group too and then uh, someday this young kid on a yellow Norco I think it was I think he was like nine years old he was just standing at the fence like hey can I ride and uh, we were like sure come on in so uh, and then uh, he was always like the little guy um, at first and then uh, he had like a huge, like he grew probably like 20 centimeters in a, in a year. In the first year that I was in America, I came back and he was like the same size as me. No, but uh, Hoopy, he, he uh, grew up racing uh, BMX and Fourcross. So uh, I think that's a very good, um, really good, uh, a good foundation for if you want to become a mountain biker. So he already had a ton of bike control when that little kid showed up at that park. Then he had ambition like no one I've ever known. He, uh, he would actually like lay out mattresses and like a tiny little uh, plastic kicker in his, back, like, in his backyard. He'd like take down his bed mattress and his... Uh, his sheets and pillows and actually like try to learn 360s off of that little kicker and he'd do that like on his own at home when his parents weren't watching if he was taking him down the mattress and then uh, another huge thing about him is just the talent like it didn't take long to see that this kid had talent like uh, no one I've ever met like I knew how much work I had to put into learning tricks I always say I don't have talent I had uh, the ambition mostly so it took me like three days nonstop uh, from like 8 o'clock in the morning to 10 o'clock at night to land my first tail whip. I remembered I'd get up early, take the train to some spot, and just try tail whips all day, nothing but tail whips. And I'm pretty sure when, uh, when I, 
I, I think I taught hoopy tail whips, and he had it like first try. With some, with some That's like, not fair. No, it wasn't. But uh, no, it's it's awesome. Like knowing that kid, he's uh, he has definitely become like a brother to me. Um, we've done so many contests, we do so many trips, and I think uh, people that know us a lot, they they know we're like actually like brothers. We fight a lot, we yell at each other, we annoy the crap out of each other. But I love him like a brother, and uh, it's been like that for years. And uh, He's also like a big part of uh, where I am because he was always like, it was always cool having like little Hoopy like looking up to you and uh, helping, even helping me, like him even telling me, oh, Chris, you got this was like, it was always cool. So yeah, Hoopy's just insanely talented, insanely ambitious, uh, motivated, and he's put in so much work over all these years and uh, I think he's going a really good path. Like, he's, uh, he's now done with his apprenticeship, and uh, he was lucky enough to find supporters that um, enable it for him to, uh, or make it possible for him to actually be a full-on professional mountain biker now, and uh, that was definitely something we all saw coming. Like, everyone who was, who was a core part of the scene uh, saw that coming, and uh, when it comes to, like, support, how, how we supported him, I think uh, for me it was definitely just having him around, taking him on trips, taking him to contests. And then there's, like, people like Domi Bolzer who uh, runs and, like, kind of founded the Biroma uh, bike team. He's definitely someone who had a huge impact on Hoopy, and uh, he's... Uh, I think he's very lucky. He had a lot of good people in his life, and that mixed with talent and uh, the ambition he has uh, couldn't have come any other way. Oh, absolutely! I mean, it's uh, it's fantastic to to watch from the outside. I mean, I've you know been as I said before we recorded this, uh, I've been been watching it for the last five years or so, and it's just been uh, fantastic to see. As a, obviously a lot of people in his corner and i think we we're all just stoked for him to you know to get where he's going and uh so yeah I, i'd love to help him more if i can and uh so yeah it will definitely be interesting to have him on and uh, uh which uh, we will be re relatively soon um <clears throat> so maybe to to wrap this uh you know kind of discussion up with uh, in terms of the development and and the pathways for for young riders i mean when you are looking at young riders i mean what is it what does it take today to uh to be a successful dirt jumper to be a successful slope style rider uh to make it internationally um i mean most of all you have to be 100 percent in like you have to i feel like you can't really uh half-ass it and be like oh yeah that would be cool you have to like find the the passion and give it all like actually give it all you have to like train all of your friends uh mostly like all of your friends have to be a part of the same scene and then you must be willing to to push too like um i ride a lot with people i really enjoy uh talking to people when I ride, like, even if I'm in Skills Park and there's kids there I don't know, I like to tell them, like, hey, uh, you look like you're trying, you want to try a backflip. 
And then it has to be like you have to want to try a backflip. And if someone's here to help you, you you should probably take advantage of that. Like that's where you notice um, you sh- you should uh, like you have to give it all. You have to be ready to give it all. And that's how you uh, you definitely succeed. And most of all, definitely everyone says this, and it is so true. Uh, you have to have fun. Well, we're uh, we're getting a bit, you know, slowly but surely, we're getting towards the end of our time. Bryson, do you have anything else you wanted to uh, to chip in? Yeah, uh, actually, when I um, first came to Zurich, I was kind of like looking for people to ride with and people to talk to, like just kind of get into the scene. And um, Epiroma, they mentioned your name, and they told me, yeah, you can speak to Chris because yeah, he speaks English. So yeah, he's he's actually American and. Um, and uh, and uh, they actually mentioned that uh, your name is Swiss Chris. And so I was like, okay, but he's American, but you call him Swiss Chris? I don't understand. So what's the story behind that? Uh, so the story behind that is uh, my first year coaching at Highland, I had a, a kid um, who was doing like this Tilt Med Highland uh, program. It was like a school program where you went to school and uh, like three, three or four times a week you had the full afternoon riding bikes at Highland. And uh, it was like a scholarship thing. And so it was Alex, uh, Alex um, Fletcher. And he's the guy who gave me the name. I remember this. He was like, oh, we should call you Swiss Chris. And I'm like, yeah, okay. Well, let's just make sure it doesn't hit the internet. So that doesn't start. And then the next video that came out, the, the guy, Adam, who edited the edit, was uh, he uploaded it, Swiss Chris doing tricks at Highland. So, yeah, it hit the internet pretty quick. Uh, the name was out in America. Everyone calls me Swiss or Swiss Chris. In Switzerland, no one does. At first, I really didn't like it, but uh, it's kind of become pretty cool to have like that nickname in America. And uh, even like in in Whistler, I've been in Whistler and uh, talked to people, and then someone's like, "Oh wait, you're Swiss Chris?" And I'm like, "Oh wow, it's it's made it to Canada too." So yeah, Canada that's how the name was born. <laughs> Canada, yeah. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> New dude about it. Well, right on. Um, we, I think we are really getting towards the end of our time. I see, I see the... Uh, Pizzeria wants to kick me Pizzeria out. Pizzeria yeah. wants to throw you out. So let's just, um, let's just wrap it up with our closeout questions. Um, let's just briefly go through these. Um, yeah, our first ones. I mean, we have three questions. First one is... Um, you know, tell us a little bit about the bike that got you uh, really stoked on riding for the first time. Um, my first bike, or my first jump bike, the, the bike I bought after that guy took me to a skate park, or we went to a skate park, was a Kona Stuff 26 dirt jump. Uh, it was the Paul Bass signature model from that year. And I loved it. It was uh, it was bright green and uh, just like a full-on dirt jump mountain bike. So that's the bike that got me stoked. And I actually did listen to the last couple of podcasts, and I've I'm hearing out that a lot of people come with that Kona. Oh yeah, thing, the huh? Stinky. The Stinky is uh, the OG downhill bike for everyone, pretty much. <laughs> there you go. And the the Kona's the OG for dirt yeah, jumping. Okay. There you go. 
All right. Well, then uh, the second one is um, it's it's yeah it's um, it's a bit out there. It's special, um, like we are. Uh, imagine uh, you're Harry Skidini and you're a bike magician extraordinaire, and you can make riding a bike more awesome for anyone by the stroke of a magic dropper post. What would you do? Oh man, I'd just have insane trails, jump spots, downhill trails, enduro trails everywhere. That's what I'd want, trails everywhere, like triple the amount of trails we have. And uh, that's something I think would be cool, just have some uh, variety there. <laughs> yeah, right. there you go. If you're going to have triple the amount of trails, that means you're going to have to put in triple the amount of effort to make a perfect skid. What would it look like? Oh, man. Not sure how it should look like, but I'm pretty sure I know what it should sound like. And I want it to sound, I want it to have the sound of everyone who sees it just losing their shit, going crazy, loving it, freaking out. And uh, yeah, that's, that's, I think, how a, a perfect skid should, should sound. Really? Nice. Nice. That's a new yeah. one. I love it. <laughs> All right, thanks. Chris, and thanks again for sitting down with us tonight. I know it's uh, you know you're on a special trip to uh, to go ride your bike. Um, just to wrap up, if listeners have any questions or want to learn more about Swiss Chris, where can they find you? <laughs> uh, um, definitely easiest on uh, Instagram at Chris Raber with R A E B E R. Yeah, I uh, I generally answer anyone who wants to get in touch. So I'm I'm looking forward to if someone does want to get in touch. Sweet. Well, we we also put that up in the uh, in the show notes, and uh, I think there's nothing else to say. But uh, well, enjoy your riding tomorrow. Uh, it looked uh, fantastic from the videos I saw today, and uh, have a great weekend, guys. You too. Thanks so much for having me. It was a blast, and. Uh, Really looking forward to uh, future Thank podcasts you. from you guys. Ciao. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Cheers, guys. Ciao, ciao.